1: He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, everybody, this is Pete Mitchell.
2: And this is Peyton
1: Jones. Here with another episode of the Church Planner Podcast, which before we get started, Peyton, I just got to say how excited I am that the new uh, Church Planner Magazine is
2: on the newsstand. Yeah, me too, man. This one is, I mean, the first one was good. This one is gooder. (laughs) And that's a word. Dang it. (laughs) It is. I could win Scrabble with that word.
1: Actually, I just... uh, I think, you know, aesthetically, I think it looks sharp. I think um, the articles in it are just insane. Like, I-, I told you before we started the podcast, last night I was up, you know, relatively late, late for me. So I don't know what that was, like 1 o'clock, I think, was when I was finally done. And um, and I was just pu- putting the finishing touches on the magazine before I uh, uh, basically made it available On the iPad and on the iPhone, which it is now. So go there right now, Church Planner Magazine, and get it on your phone. And um, I would just finish because I had to make like changes. Like there's some things that you just don't see that are wrong until it's actually on the iPad. So like I saw a couple little things. Like okay, I got to go change those real quick before we announce to everybody. Like we haven't even announced to everybody that it's available. So I mean, if someone logged into the magazine, they would see it, but. I mean that's the only way that they would know that it's there. And so I was um I was finishing it up and the the article I was finishing up was on Pastor Said. And I just, you know, the whole story for for our one listener, uh, I don't know if you Joey. Hey Joey. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It went from Jerry to Joey.
2: Um and then and then Barry told me this week he's listening, so we have two now because we made Jerry up.
1: But but actually Joey, he just changed his name to Barry so he would feel better and think that there was more than one person
2: <laughs> listening. Got an extra Twitter handle. <laughs> he
1: got an extra Twitter. There you go. So, um, so I'm 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 finishing up the story on Pastor Said. And For those who don't know the story on Pastor Sayed, he's an American Iranian pastor uh, who's born in Iran. He's uh, an American citizen. Um, his wife, uh, was born in America. She's a obviously American, a citizen and he's got how many kids does he have. Do you know? Is it two kids?
2: Uh, I thought it was three. three.
1: It could be three. I, you know, here I am talking about this story and I don't even remember how many kids the guys got, but bottom line is he's been church planning in Iran and we got the opportunity to interview his sister, Zibanda. And, um, the reason why we got the opportunity to interview her is because he's in jail in Iran's notorious—I uh, think it's Evan Prison—and just, I mean, he, he's in jail for sharing the gospel. I mean, Iran is a, a Muslim country, even though uh, they acknowledge that they've got you know a sect of Christianity in there. They don't tolerate it, obviously, because they've thrown him in in jail. I mean, he's literally been beaten. Um, it's almost a, a daily occurrence for him, and so you know I'm I'm like putting the final touches here on the magazine, and last night I'm I'm going to bed and I'm just like personally feeling like okay, here I am, I'm in America, I'm I'm sleeping in another room because my wife is sick, but like I've got a big enough house that I can be in a whole another part of the house. Yeah and here's this dude who's right now today getting beat because he shared the gospel. And I don't know, man, it just it kind of gets to
2: me. And I, it does. And you know, it's it's this whole thing about perspective, you know. Here I am. I'm still adopting the baby and uh I'm in Minnesota and I'm walking. I had a similar experience um where I'm walking around the back uh courtyard here. And of course, because it's the Ronald McDonald House, it's where all the kids who uh, are are terminally ill or have serious illnesses stay. And, you know, we can think we got problems. And then I'm walking around this courtyard in the back and there's plaque after plaque after plaque lining the garden, little marble plaques kind of edging the lawn that are all dedicated to kids who lost the battle with a serious illness. And it, it, it just... It's a game changer. It suddenly puts everything into perspective. And I can remember when we were interviewing Zabanda, we were just going from church planner interview to church planner interview. And they were all powerful. I mean, that was the same day we did David Trujillo, uh, South Central L.A., which I believe is in this issue as well. It is, yep. Uh, And then we did, you know, and I mean, he was talking about coming out of gangs. And all of these interviews were amazing. But then we hit hers, and it was like, you know, this guy who planted a church from nothing to now a 1,000. 2,000. 2,000. And they're uh, 2, and, and their, their increments of 10 to 20 because they have to be underground house churches. Now, all 2,000 people can't ever come together. And I remember you and I looking at each other, walking away, just going, you know, it was, it was almost like we didn't have any words. Yeah. You know, we just kind of were looking at each other kind of stunned when we finished that interview.
1: And the only reason and, why we didn't put it in the first issue is— We literally had to put the interview together and give it to her so her and her people could review it. And they had us take out certain parts because things, you know, the dude's still in jail, right? I mean, and it's not like the Iranians are, you know, Mr. Happy. And, hey, it's not like even American prison, which is bad enough. But, I mean, it's, it's a different world over there. Like, she gave us some letters from him for us to put in the magazine and I'm, I'm reading these letters and they're just like heart wrenching. Yeah. And one of the things that he talks about is, you know, he's in this room where the light is always on and he goes, I don't know if it's day or if it's night, I have no idea, no concept. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking about what this dude is going through. You know, the story um, he had internal bleeding and they wouldn't take him to the hospital again because he's a Christian pastor And yet, um, finally, they did take him, but when they took him to the hospital, the doctor wouldn't do anything for him because they're Muslim and he's considered unclean. And, I mean, like, this is what this guy is going through all for the sake of Jesus Christ. And he he clearly says in his letters, I'd do it again.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it was amazing because at one point, I remember talking to Zabanda, and she was saying, you know, that he had been tortured and beaten so badly that he had had internal bleeding. And you know, at one stage, we were talking to her, and he had been um, critically ill. I mean, yeah, I, I can remember that time where it was touch and go, and the latest reports were he's probably not going to last throughout the week. And then suddenly, we were talking to her, and I, I asked her. I said, you know, um, yeah, he was. I, I remember the recent reports being, you know, uh, that, that you know he was critically, and it was it was difficult talking to his sister about this. You know, you're talking about her brother's life. And she just smiled and said, God healed him. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, dang! <laughs> wow, you know. But, but again, it goes back to that whole thing that, that we always say in uh, Newbury Church Planning. And that is that uh, you, when you are on the front line, you see the supernatural because that's where you need it. And I think what's great about Church Planner Magazine and the Church Planner Podcast, someone left a comment on one of the reviews of the podcast. And they said, man, I cannot, or the magazine actually. They said, you know, I cannot wait to see where this magazine goes because it's actually a magazine that talks about uh, the, the kind of church planning that, that really is, is what's needed. Like it's not just, hey guys, how to get a bunch of people come through the doors by, you know, boom, boom, boom. It is really hardcore. Look, are you out for the lost? And are you out for God's glory? It is, uh, you know, frontline stuff. And so we're talking to people on the extremes of the frontline, and it just flavors everything. And, and you, you, you can't read this month's issue and come out thinking, yeah, I'm going to prostitute myself for numbers. You, right. you come out the other right. side of this, and it, it has a purifying effect on you. It makes you feel like the same thing we always say at our boot camps or jump schools— for new breed, when I'm training guys, they're they're like new recruits, they funnel in and they just want a mega church. That's all they want. They want to be on the radio, they want to be the next John Piper, they want to have books. And we just tell them, guys, if you're in it for that, you're in the wrong stinking game. Because guys like Said, man, that's the core of it. How willing, how far are you willing to go to spread the gospel? How how are you willing to pay with your life? I love the the when when John and James Come to Jesus and they go, Hey, can we sit at your right hand in heaven? <laughs> can we be the big shots in heaven right. and in the kingdom? And Jesus just looks at him and says, That's not even for me to give. But then he says, Can he looks at him and says, Can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Or can you be baptized with the baptism? I'm about to be baptized with, and that's not the baptism of water. He was talking about the wrath of God, completely just engulfing him. That was the baptism. And they go, "Yeah, we can," (laughs) just very flippantly. And then he, it it doesn't say in the scripture. Jesus smiles and winks, but you just get a (laughs) a sense. (laughs) Jesus looks at him. He goes, "Yes, in fact, you will. You will. You know." It's kind of like Yoda looking at Luke, going. Are you afraid? And he goes, "You will uh, be. no, you will be." <laughs> it is. It's that passage. I'm telling you. <laughs> now you know what it's like to sit in my church on a Sunday morning and hear my sermons. <laughs> Star Wars, GI Joe, He-Man, it all comes in. You've read Church Zero.
1: Well, you know, and that gets us to our main topic at hand because there's there's a couple of different directions that we can kind of go with this, but. Um, one of the things we, we actually wanted to finish talking about from last week's podcast, there was something else that Michael Cheshire uh, put on his
2: Facebook. Is he paying us, Pete? Uh, he should needs be. to be paying us. Apparently. No, we love, we love Mike Cheshire, man. He's a brother from another mother. We're apparently his biggest fans, and
1: I, <laughs> and I don't know how that <laughs> happened, right?
2: You've actually talked to him, though. I
1: haven't, and I think the guy is just awesome. But, um.
2: His No, no, can I can I actually validate that? I have talked to his assistant. Oh, okay. Cortland, Cortland Coffee. Oh. I have not talked to the man himself yet. So
1: so he's so big <laughs> that uh I can't touch him. He's got an assistant. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That changes everything now. <laughs> no, so um so anyway, one of the things that he put on his Facebook uh a few weeks ago was and this is you know, it's so sad. It's so typical, and, and remind me because I'll bring up a little bit later a tie-in with Rick Warren that's kind of similar to this. And um but anyway, he stuck up this picture. They'd stuck up their their churches, the Journey Church, and they'd stuck up you know posters and stuff around their community, and someone had gone through and tagged them all with the word cult, and, and so he makes the comment. Hey, we had four new families at our church this Sunday because someone had tagged them with the word "cult,"
2: and they yeah, wanted. Yeah, they, they had put little stickers on every poster he had around town. That they had they had put it over top of this poster, cult.
1: And it, what's funny to me is the tagline underneath the Journey Church is um, something like "perfect people not welcome" or "perfect people not allowed" or something like yeah. that. It's yeah. just and. And so he goes. We're gonna ride this sucker, man. We're gonna have T-shirts made up that say "Cult" and everything else because it's <laughs> bringing people in. So you know, I look at that and I I find it absolutely hilarious that you know someone has the foresight to take it and like kind of turn that whole situation on its head and be like, "All right, I'll have T-shirts made up." But you know, and, and it goes back to what we talked about last week: how people will just you know, and especially other Christians will rip on you. And I kind of wonder why that is and and what your thoughts on it are. I mean, part of me is because I I think it's because to them, their faith is so important, but it's, it's the way like they think it has to be done the way that they've always done it or the way that they've always seen it done. And so I, I do understand, at least I believe that for some people they see it as offensive the way some people practice church, the way some people uh, show the love of God. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? I'm just looking at it going, it's got to be partially that, right? It's like it's so personal to them that they're looking at it going, you're doing it wrong, and I think you're misrepresenting yeah. God.
2: I, I don't know. I'm, I'm
1: giving them the yeah. benefit of the doubt, but I think that's what you it know what? is.
2: There- yeah, there are so many different ways that, to, to look at it because you're dealing with people, so you've always got a, a mixed bag of motives. I can remember when I planted uh, Pillar Church out of Starbucks, remember we always say that we were the accident-driven church. We we didn't mean to plant that church, um, but it kind of happened. And um, I can remember I, I got a letter right away from this council that was in Wales, that was an evangelical council. And they they had all gotten together. Nobody had picked up the phone and called me, but they're like, by whose authority? Literally, I got a letter saying, by whose authority do you do these things? And all my mind raced back to was the Pharisees asking Jesus by whose authority he did things. And and I, I I found it ironic that a whole room full of Christian leaders, none of them thought to ask the question, "Hey, this isn't our Bible. Isn't this what the Pharisees asked Jesus?" Not not making a comparison that I'm Jesus and they were Pharisees, but um, it was just odd because a work of the Holy Spirit was truly going on, and they wanted me to go into the lion's den and stand in the middle of their next meeting and justify why I had done what I had done. And so for me, being typically American and not very British, I picked up the phone and just said, what is this letter? You know, I preached in all of your churches. You all know me. Um, You all have my phone number. Any of you could have called me up. And yes, I will come to the meeting if invited. However, I will not ask your permission because you're not the ones I need to ask permission from. And... I never got the invitation. I said, I'll inform, but I won't ask permission. Hmm. And, uh, and, 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 and yet, at the same time, there was a good friend of mine down the road, and I had made the mistake as a church planter that is the most common mistake, and that is not to go to the surrounding churches. It, it was the first plant, church plant I had personally planted. And when people ask me, what's your biggest regret when you, when you church planted, pillar. I always say not going to the other ministers beforehand because it all kind of spun out of control. It was out of my hands when it started. Um, It wasn't pre-planned. I didn't go to the surrounding ministers. And so there was some needless hurt and confusion and could have saved myself some heartache had I had had a crystal ball. And uh, a good friend of mine, an elderly gentleman, um, got one of my flyers. He was kind of like the neighboring church. And, you know, I had to really humble myself to him because... To him, um, exactly what you said, Pete, about he saw my church plant as, because it had this thing, it started off saying, church sucks. Uh, we all know it's true. That was, that was the opening line. And I, and I was targeting people who thought church sucked, people who would never go in my friend's church in a million, billion, trillion years, because he had a traditional reformed evangelical church, whereas mine was like the church that started out of Starbucks, and we called it the church for people who don't go to church. And that's in fact what it was. We actually had a no Christians allowed rule. And so I assured him, I said, look, the people that come to your church will in no way ever come to, to, to my church and vice versa. But I still had to go to him because, um, he was actually opposition. One of my best friends, uh, during my 12 years in Wales, and I had to go and humble myself to him and, and, and apologize and just reach out my, my hand to him. So you know, people are never they. People will oppose your church plant. People will oppose what you're doing, but always as a church planner, be careful to recognize that that there's going to be different reasons for that. Yeah. Um, there's there's that passage in Jude where it talks about at the end that there's three types of people. When when the letter of Jude is written at the end, he says. These guys deal with, with a bit of harshness. These guys deal, uh, you know, to rescue them. And these guys are a little bit in the middle and they need a bit of swaying. And I don't have the exact, but, you know, I think Jude is just like 20 verses. So uh, you can go and read. It's one of the last verses in the book. But but he just, he gives a distinction how to deal with people. So, you know, it gets your back up. It, it gets you defensive. But be careful when you are dealing with, some guys just needed you to give them a phone call and just, Tell them what you're doing, but in the case of Mike Cheshire, going back to that, um, what I thought was genius about that was that, as you pointed out, he wrote it. And of course, you know, Pete, being the the, the son of perdition that you are a, a, as a marketer, <laughs> um, you know, t- talk about it from your perspective because you know you're a marketer. What 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 did that set alight in you?
1: Well, it's kind of funny because you know that I've done similar type of things in the past where. <laughs> When I get certain ads uh, banned or rejected, that actually becomes my next ad, you know, exposed. See the ad that so-and-so rejected and wouldn't run. And it's actually a a marketing ploy, if you will, that people use to – because then people are like, oh, I want to read this. So, like, for instance, I wrote uh, a press release on – Uh, Obama. This was back when the elections were coming up. Obama and Mitt Romney were running against each other. And the stuff that I do has nothing to do with politics, right? So I'm purely just trying to ride the wave of this is uh, uh, a political season and people are reading stuff about these guys. And I don't even remember what I was selling because I was sure I was selling something, trying to drive people to a webinar or something. And, like, they wouldn't run it because they're like, you're speaking negatively about Obama. I'm like, dude, I'm speaking negatively about Obama because the people who I'm trying to reach don't like Obama. Like, I didn't like either one of them. I didn't vote for Mitt Romney or for Obama because <laughs> – one, because I'm a Christian, so I don't vote for those guys. <laughs> but – um and. And so I was like, "Look, I, this is this is," and it wasn't like pro Mitt Romney. It was like I think it had to do with like health insurance or something. And and I was coming out against it. But anyway, bo- bottom line is, it doesn't really matter what it was about. They wouldn't run my press release. This is a major PR service. They wouldn't run it. So much. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, really, it's not because <laughs> they. Anyway, that's, that. That actually yeah, happens anyways. quite a bit. Um, so I immediately took that and took their response. And I ran it on my website, and I did an email out to my whole database, and I would never had more people hit my website than I did then. (laughs) Because I was like – I think the subject line was something like, read the press release that so-and-so banned and wouldn't run. And everyone, like, wanted to go read it. And I'm like, okay, this yeah. is better because it didn't cost me anything. Well, and, you know, I got to well, use it. Think,
2: think of it this way. Think of it this way, right? Because there's a bit of that in the Bible. Absolutely. Like, Jesus doing stuff, having arguments with the Pharisees. Um, that that kind of, he was banned, wasn't he? I mean, John the Baptist, you know, a guy ends up getting uh, beheaded. And the Pharisees come. He's, he's not... You know, he's kind of riding that, that wave of popularity. You know, they, they say, oh, all the world's gone after him, is, is what the Pharisees say. Um, there was definitely something going on, but it wasn't, it was like Jesus said later. He said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? He says, did you go out to see some guy uh, dressed in fancy clothes? Did you go out to see some posh dude, you know, drinking tea? He goes, no, you went out to see a prophet. You went out there because this dude was making people mad. That's, that's what Jesus yep. says. And, and what's awesome is, you know, the Pharisees turn up. If he was going to ever kiss butt, he'd be like, hey, the Sanhedrin's here. woo way to go, John. Now you're really going to get somewhere. You know, this is like the talent scouts, man. And he just goes, you brood of vipers. Why are you here? You know, surely you're not going to get down in this in this river and cleanse off your sins. You know, you hypocrites, you whitewashed tombs. He just starts yelling at them, you know, and, and, you know, that was scandalous. You know, he, he's obviously the guy who was banned. Jesus was a guy who was banned. And I, I think that there's that kind of element of, you know, sometimes they say in the business world, you got to stand out now, you know, and, and, and I, I'm passionate about this, Pete, um, I feel the church right now, social media is great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a grandpa. In my day, we bark up the tree, you know. Um, but, but what I'm saying is um, we're losing this. This whole social media is creating this thing where we just want to be liked. And we're mm. becoming social media whores. Um, we're becoming truth prostitutes. We're giving everything away. Just going, here, you know, just like me. Please just like me. Um, hey, you know, we don't believe this about the Bible anymore. Hey, you know what? We'll, we'll give you this truth. We'll give it away. Just like us, please, because we want to be popular. And when the church becomes that way, it loses its power. The power of the gospel is the fact that it, we, you can't gum people into the into the kingdom. The gospel has teeth. It's got a bite. John the Baptist had a bite. And people flocked to him because they were like, hey, man, there's something different here. There's something radical. There's something subversive. And I think that's kind of what Michael Cheshire is jumping on the back of. I think he's on to something.
1: You know, what's interesting, one of the things that you mentioned about social media, and I, I just want to bring this up again from a marketing perspective standpoint, because I don't think a lot of pastors realize this. I was having this conversation with a buddy of mine, a guy by the name of Martin Howie. He's um, just a phenomenal business coach. And uh, I think he's like 68 years old, uh, 69, something like that, right in that range. And it has just been diagnosed with cancer again. Um, so he's you know constantly fighting that stuff off. And he, he's just got... He, He doesn't need to, like, make any money, right? He's just—I can't even believe the guy is a friend to me. He's just that high-caliber dude, right? So I'm talking to him this one day, and I said, you know, it's really interesting. I was talking to him about Church Planner Magazine. I go, it's really interesting with social media with pastors because all pastors seem to be on Twitter. And I go, this is, like, the first time you can point to a group— and like they're all on social media. And I, I honestly believe it's because <clears throat> someone has told all the pastors for you to be relevant, you've got to be on Facebook, you got to be on Twitter, you got to <laughs> be on Pinterest. You got because the rest of the world, I don't care that it's all in the news, they don't use it the way everyone says that they use it. Every study yes. that's ever been done shows that hardly anyone tweets, that hardly anyone reads that stuff except apparently for pastors. And I was joking with them. Right. I go, this is like the one time I actually have to get on Twitter to get in front of, because our market, our church planners are pastors. And to, for me to communicate with them, I actually have to get on Twitter. But like for them to actually reach the audiences that they're trying to reach,
2: I'm sorry, but they're not on Twitter. You know, it's funny. And, and this might take a slightly off course from where we're going. We'll come back to it. But the the thing is you and i have talked about this cuz we're we're often trying to get pastors to um listen to what we're talking about or you know this and that and of course i wrote a book church zero it's highly highly provocative sorry chit <laughs> ching if we had that sound effect we could do that but but it's highly provocative it is not going to win friends and influence people and i knew that when I wrote it, God just said, do you want to be liked or used? And I was like, both, Lord, because it's been so long <laughs> since I've had both. And, you know, God was like, no, you got to choose. But the, uh, the bottom line was that you and I have talked about this. And, I've it, you know, when you and I started talking, you're like, you know, how do we get a hold of these guys? And, and I told you, look, you, it, with pastors, they're a funny animal because they are used to getting in front of crowds. And so they want to be heard. They're messengers. But always with a messenger, whether you're a stand-up comedian or a rock musician or whatever, if you've got something to promote to an audience of listeners, there's always two things at work. Well, there's always one thing at work. Number one is ego. How do you get a pastor to get in his car and drive one or two hours away and speak to a bunch of people that aren't going to pay him? Two things. Number one, his ego. He wants to be known. And, and right away, people go, oh, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not true. He wants to preach. No, I'm sorry. We're flawed human beings, and ego is always there. It's the shadow that's always on the dark side, okay? We've all got it. It's always there. It's cool if you don't want to be honest about it, but it's there. Right. Uh, I've been in ministry long enough to just be honest and go, okay, my ego's there. The other side of the coin is impact. That's the part that they want to say, well, that that's what, we're, okay, now we're going to talk about that. The, the part that you're saying, but it's not alone. It's never alone. There's always ego and there's always impact. Impact is the part of me that says, I'm going to do this self-sacrificially because I want to impact people for the kingdom. And I will sacrifice my gas tank. I will sacrifice my finances. I will sacrifice my time to go and drive and speak to a bunch of 10-year-olds about the gospel two hours away because I have a desire to impact. And sometimes what happens is the ego on that scale, that balance between the two, the ego's up. And the desire to impact is down. And when that happens, you're in trouble. But always, even George Whitfield, and all great preachers talk, even Spurgeon talked about, George Whitfield said that success almost killed him more than failure. Hmm. Because when he started off as a young man, um, he was in his early twenties, he's preaching the gospel, and he becomes a national, in fact, an international figure. And his desire to impact one, but his ego, sometimes he felt he got the balance wrong. Wesley, uh, you know, all these guys uh, have dealt with that. What the church isn't good about right now is it's not good about recognizing the danger that's inherent in social media, um, that, that right now it's all about self-promotion. We've got to be careful. Um, if we're not going to be honest about this dark side, then we're not going to be able to embrace the force.
1: You know, it's Luminous funny. Beings are we? That, that's one of the things <laughs> that always um, I'm very careful about. And I it, believe me, I, what I'm about to say, I, I'm not saying that I see something right or wrong. It's just one of those things that I always notice. It's when someone names their ministry after themselves that I'm always yeah. like, you know, I get why you're doing it. And believe me, from a marketing standpoint, look, I am. I name my company Pete Mitchell Inc. Right? I mean. <laughs> the whole point is to promote me and everything I do is to promote Pete Mitchell. I mean, in yeah. the business side of things
2: and the business world, sure.
1: But when it comes to the, the ministry stuff, it's just one of those things where I'm always very uncomfortable about it. And I'm not saying that people are doing it wrong. I mean, I think it's called Billy Graham's, you know, whatever. I, I mean, he's named his ministry after himself, right? Sure. Sure. So, I mean, I'm not saying that I think it's, wrong in and of itself, but it is one of those things that just kind of, you know, gets me or when you see a televangelist on TV and the name or the website down on the corner is, you know, I, I don't want to use someone's name, but you can imagine a really big pastor, say, from Texas who's got their name plastered all over the TV when they preach. <laughs> I'm not going to say it, but, um, but it just kind of, you know, I look at that and I'm like, who are you really trying to promote, you know? I mean, is that... Really, what the deal is here is it's all about you and your books, and and one of the things that just it's all I,
2: about Church Zero, baby. Yeah. Well, Cha-ching. no, just joking. But at least you didn't name <laughs> it Peyton Jones. But no, I'm just kidding. The Peyton Jones book. <clears throat> but like, take
1: for instance um, the Masters College for a name for a university. You, you call them MacArthurites, right? Because it's John MacArthur's right. sure college. I think he named that thing brilliantly. Yeah, absolutely. Because when you literally think about the, the name of that college, I mean, what is he saying? This isn't our school. This is God's school. We're going to yeah. use this to train up the next generation. That's where my sister you know, went to school. And then you look at other universities. And I'm, again, I'm not saying it's wrong you know, to, to call it by your name or whatever. But it does, you know, I look at it and I'm like, really, what are you trying to promote here? So I, I understand well, what you're saying with yeah. you know, Twitter yeah. and Facebook and all that stuff.
2: We've got to be careful. You know, Gideon, I, I, I don't remember if we talked about it on this uh, broadcast or not, but, you know, Gideon, uh, he rises up as one of the judges of Israel against the Midianites, and he be- his nickname becomes a bale slayer. Well, you know, that sounds like something out of freaking Halo, man. Slayer, you know, he's like on a killing spree, and he gets this moniker. Hey, man, here comes Baal slayer. I mean, how boss is that of a name? That's how he became known. He became a legend in his own time. I think many people don't deal well with that. And what actually happens is Gideon, after some of the battles, takes all the gold from the plunder. And he makes an ephod, which is kind of like a breastplate. And it's a symbol of his prowess on the field of battle. And he sets it up as a place to um, come and pay tribute pay homage to, and it ends up becoming an idol that people worship. Hmm. And I've always thought about that, that, you know, you'll see guys, sometimes they start off in their ministry, and what happens is they do. They become a legend in their own time. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it's funny because I I, I I sense this with you, Pete, and, and, and I'm glad that the conversation's turning uh, and it has the tone it has because I'm not above that. You know, you're not above, none of us, oh, no. I haven't had, To deal with that. I'm a small fry. Nobody knows who in the heck I am. And and that's kind of cool because I don't want to deal with the trials that these guys have. I can't judge these other guys because who's to say that I don't, you know, make a golden ephod, you know, the Peyton Jones golden ephod and bow down to it. It is a temptation because like we said, the ego and the impact are always there. And so when the ego, because it's there, it's in me just like anyone else. And you know, like you said, I don't think Billy Graham it ever became about Billy Graham, but um, and and that's good to know. So we're not saying as a rule if it you know if you got that name, but it does raise a question. And you know, and I think all of us have to be careful. But there is a disturbing trend in ministry right now, and and I just think especially for our younger guys, you know, it's kind of like they're coming into ministry in this atmosphere. And they could right away be building on a cracked foundation by thinking this is normal, you know, that self-promotion is the way to really be used by God. And we have to be careful because, you know, it's kind of like this, you know, like I read an article this morning on CNN about, you know, uh, Rachel Held Evans wrote this thing about the millennials. She kicks it off by saying, um, you know, I've never navigated in my life without using MapQuest. And I just thought, man, you know, that is insane because I remember having the the, Tom, uh, the Thomas Guide in the backseat. What is, what is <laughs> that? Our, What's the Thomas? I was just going to say kidding, nobody dude. even knows what the Thomas <laughs> Guide is. It, it was like uh, for uh, Orange County, L.A. County, San Diego County, you would have to buy this big tome that would go under your seat in your car. So when you got lost, you could look up the street name alphabetically and you could map out your journey. You had to physically do that before the internet, and, and what I'm saying is, it's kind of like how Rachel Held Evans said, you know, gosh, I've never known, you know, what she was saying is, I've never used a map. And so speaking to this generation of church planners coming up, what, what I'm trying to say to you guys is this, that be careful because you're, we want you to know the map. We want you to know the foundation, the biblical principles of ministry. John the Baptist, who we started off talking about earlier, who said, hey, man, I must decrease That he may increase. And sometimes we get into that kind of quandary where the Lord goes, who are we going to promote today? You see, the Holy Spirit wants to do one thing. Jesus said in John 17, when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me. Mm. Nobody else. God says, I'll share my glory with no one. If you want power, you must decrease. You must boast in your weaknesses that the excellency of the power may be seen to be of God and not of men. Paul says, therefore, I will boast in my weakness that the power of Christ might rest upon me. We can be popular by promoting ourselves, but we cannot be powerful by promoting ourselves. And that, that's, these are just basic ministry principles that I think are getting lost right now. To this younger generation power comes through weakness decrease that he might increase so i love the way alistair Begg said about john the baptist that john the baptist proclaimed the way he pointed the way and he got out of the way hmm. <laughs> hmm. got on my rant there pete yeah Sorry. no
1: no that's fine i liked it i liked it in fact um
2: i was rocking on my proverbial rocking chair you know spitting spittoons I was like my old man, you know, there's a storm. That was my old timer talk. (laughs) Well, it it reminds me of the the story that I wanted
1: to talk about from uh, Rick Warren. So I'm following Rick Warren on Facebook. Apparently I I must've signed up for that. And, uh, um, there were, there were a couple of posts this last week that I thought were kind of really, uh, interesting to say the least. Um, obviously his, his son, uh, committed suicide at this point. It was, I don't know, three months ago, four months ago. I don't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was his first Sunday back, uh, at, at the pulpit there at saddleback. And so, you know, huge crowds came out, people wanted to hear him. So he, he put a post on Facebook along the lines of, we had 12, leaders from the Jewish community, and 16 Muslim leaders at church on Sunday. And that was, like, basically the extent of it. And so I was like, oh, this will be fun to see, this to read the comments, right? Because I'm looking at this going, this is a lightning rod comment. What are people going to say to this? Sure, sure. And so I, obviously I didn't want to read them all because he's got, you know, I, I don't know how many thousands of followers, but it just means that there's more comments than you could literally waste your life just reading what other people wrote <laughs> about something that you know a, a forty a hundred and forty characters. No, I get on, you, man. On. I
2: I read the comments. I you know I find on certain articles, the comments are way better than the articles.
1: And that's from a marketing standpoint. That's actually what they're going for because. Yeah. Just so people understand how the whole economy has changed when it comes to news. Newspapers are dying if they're not already dead in your area. And how they make money is page views. So the more controversial they can be, and sometimes that does mean misleading, uh, they get to make money because every time that page refreshes, the advertisements show, and they're charging the advertisers every time their ad shows so they love it when there's comments and they love it when there's lightning rod things. But I, what I thought was interesting is you had exactly both sides, just kind of what I thought you'd have. You had some who were like profane, literally profane. And, you know, how can you how can you be okay with this? You know, having Muslim leaders and you know, Jewish are kind of like, eh, you know, they're not as bad as Muslim, but you know, here in America, <laughs> Muslims like, you know, that's that's the worst. And and then you had on the other side this. I still remember this one comment. This lady was apparently referencing someone else's comment, and she's like, "Have you missed the whole point of what Jesus said? He's all inclusive. It doesn't matter how you get to God." It just, and I'm like, you know, reading this, going, "Okay, I think you missed exactly what Jesus said." Yeah, but and no I, one comes to the Father but
2: by me. Right? Exactly. You know, let's just forget yeah. about that part of the Bible. You know? not not a very inclusive comment.
1: <laughs> no, not at all. But, you know, I find it interesting because I understand why Rick Warren put that on there. I understand that Rick is like, look, <clears throat> I'm not changing who I am. I'm not watering down the gospel. I'm not in any way going to compromise. And I am in every way going to reach out to everyone who is not saved yeah. anywhere all the time.
2: Let me let me just say this, because here's the deal. Rick. Rick, I got huge respect for Rick. Here's the deal. This is what he's doing. And I, I remember when it came out in the Orange County Register, um, a lot of the best news about Rick comes out in Orange County because, uh, he's got a great relationship with, um, because of all the social stuff that he does for the community. Um, they, they're frequently watching him and writing up on him. So I get a lot of my news, news from the Orange County Register about Rick. I don't get it from the Christian community. I get it from the secular community and, They interviewed him on this and he was very thorough and he made the point. He said, what I'm doing isn't going towards a universalistic gospel. What I'm doing is I'm actually evangelizing Muslims. He says, the church is bad at this. And he said, that's what I'm doing. And in order to do that, I have to talk to them. Why am I having them in my church? Well, if you can think of a better way to get Muslims to church, let me know. And, you know, I just dig on it because that dude, there's a couple things about Rick. He never defends himself. Um, he, he said that when he defends himself, he feels the spirit of God depart from him. Hmm. You, know, you know, it goes back to what we're saying, doesn't it? Um, I'm not out here to promote me. And Rick definitely, that guy never promotes himself. So people stand back and go, Muslims in the service? What? what? You know, the reality is what the guy's doing is he's getting Muslims to come to church so they can hear the gospel. And, you know, that's a whole nother. We're going to do a feature issue on Rick because one of the things when you get to know that dude um, in, in, in his passion for planning and his philosophy of ministry, you kind of start seeing for a guy who doesn't promote himself but gets talked smack about all the time, you start realizing, hold on, this dude is actually doing more for the, he, he's usually on the right side of things. Right. So if you want to talk, you know, how does Rick Warren reach gay people? He pours millions of dollars into AIDS research, and he earns the right to share the gospel with them, right. and he does it. He doesn't just go to them and go, hey, you know, I'm going to support um, conservative, you know, a, a conservative view of a family marriage and go out and placard you know, around homosexual areas, you know, vote no on Prop 8. Um, you know, he, he doesn't do it that way. He does it the way that if I had a couple million bombs to drop, that's what I'd do. I drop money on it and go, boom, now I'm going to talk to you. You know, that's funny you, because
1: I actually just started an HIV research center, so you can go ahead and drop it right on me. I'll take that money and <laughs> I'll
2: do said, research. If I haven't, I'm a poor church planner. I have got money for nothing, man. <laughs> that's
1: why this podcast is free and we do it on the free Google Hangout.
2: Please buy ChurchZero.com. Please buy my book. <laughs> my kids so, are starving. So your publisher
1: can make all the money. And my you get your, is
2: so skinny. You get your 50 cents
1: or whatever you get. Hey, no, that actually does remind me of uh, something we talked about after we finished last week's podcast. I shared this story with you. And I'm going to totally butcher the story, so I, I hope people just get the point. But I remember in one of the, the uh, C.S. Lewis Narnia movies, I, it was the second or the third one. I don't remember which one it was, but um you know Aslan is a christ like character uh in the movie series in the book series, and there's a scene where um uh, the youngest little girl she's in the forest and she's pretty sure i mean you know we see aslan she sees aslan the lion, and he takes off and she's like. Wants to go follow him. But then, you know, her older brother is there. And I think her older sister and and maybe even the other brother is there. And they're like, Aslan's not there. You didn't see him. You know, come with us. And later in the movie, uh, when they do meet up with Aslan, she's like, Aslan, I thought I saw you in the forest. And he goes, well, then why didn't you come to me? Well, because they told me that I didn't see you. And he goes, but you did see me. So why didn't you follow me? And I just, I mean, the point to me in that it, when it comes to following Christ, and it's kind of touched about a lot in uh, this month's issue of Church Planner Magazine, available now on the newsstand, is, um,
2: <laughs> cha-ching.
1: Yeah, cha-ching, <laughs> is if God has called you to something, if he's called you to plant your church and do the church a certain way, And everyone else in it, you know, in her case, it was her older brother who, you know, in in this context, let's say it's it's someone else, a, a brother or sister in Christ. And they're saying, yeah, but I don't think this is the way, you know, we should be doing it. We should be doing it this way over here. The way I look at that is, yeah, but I'm not following you. And if God has called me to this, then I need to follow what God has called me to. And this is one of the areas that for me is really a difficult thing to to get through. And and what I mean by that is I put together this video for um I, I've got a publishing company as well. And so I published a, a book for apologetics.com. It's actually, I think, one of the best books, especially for the unchurched. It's called Think and Live Challenging Believers to Think and Thinkers to Believe. And it's really a, a 101 type of level book for apologetics. So this is not for the guy who's been studying apologetics his whole life. This is for the unchurched person who's like, well, how do we know the Bible's legit? How do we know the story of Jesus is legit? And so I put together a video for this. And you know this story, Peyton, because I've shared it with you. But um, there's this, this section in the video where it talks about People were looking at Jesus as, you know, a performer, as a a magician. You know, do us this trick, God-man. That's the actual line. Show us a trick, God-man. You know, do something for us. And so the the visual that's on the screen is, you know, there's a a guy with long hair and a robe, obviously playing the role of Jesus. (laughs) uh, But he's got sunglasses on. He's got, you know, all his bling on. And he's holding this chalice, right? And the chalice says, pimp on it. Now, when I showed the video to my dad, I'm like, hey, dad, you know, you, you know, I've shared my dad's a pastor, and he's got an email newsletter that goes out to all of his people. And I'm like, hey, you know, would you share this video with him? It's on YouTube. And he's like, wow, it's a great video. And then, you know, maybe a half hour later, I get a, an email back from him. He goes, that scene with Jesus, does that chalice say pimp on it? And I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, <laughs> like Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was like deeply offended that it said pimp, and I'm like, well, you don't understand. Like in in my generation's vernacular, the word pimp does not mean what it yeah. used to mean to you. I yeah. mean, it still does mean, you know, someone who has hookers and whores. Yeah, sure. But it, you know, we've got TV shows, pimp my ride. Yeah. You know, yeah. you got to pimp this out. And it it doesn't mean the same thing. Well, he was so deeply offended by this. Sure. that he wouldn't share it with anybody. And because I wouldn't change it. Because I'm like, you know what, I'll... And I had to promise your dad, <laughs> I'll talk to him. <laughs> no, because you didn't side with him. He may not like you anymore. I don't know. But but it like but really it, it, bothered me to the point sure. that I was going to do a whole series of videos. And I was like, I don't even want to do the rest. And sure. I let it affect me like that. but and, and I'm not saying you should make a video with pimp on a Jesus chalice. Uh, That's not what I'm trying to get at here. But my point is, is like, we can be so easily influenced
2: by other believers. Other people's opinions. Well,
1: who we respect, and maybe they deserve
2: our respect. Yeah.
1: But yet, if we're truly following Jesus, there's a, a point at which we've got to say, you know what, I appreciate your point of view, and I understand where you're coming from, but I really feel this is what God wants me to do, and
2: this is why we're doing it this way. And if you don't understand a that, you don't understand to, that. Yeah, a church planner has to have that. You know, um, Paul wrote that. Uh, first off, Jesus said, um, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Um, number one, it, it shows that you're not doing it. If, it. You have to have a rebel streak to be prophetic. You have, it, it goes back full circle to, to where Michael Cheshire was. You have to have a little bit of a punk in you. Um, people people were always like why do you got punk at the end of your twitter handle well number one because peyton jones was taken <laughs> <laughs> there are other people named peyton jones out there tweeting and uh the the other reason is because you know one of them is hey any punk can do what i do it's just you know a punk in the holy spirit that's all you need to plan a church but number number three you know part of me is a punk you know i i it's just an attitude. It's it's a, the, the sense of, hey, I'm not here to support the system. I am here to please God. An old illustration, kind of like Paul said, you know, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You will take bullets in the back. You will suffer friendly fire. Paul got it. Um, Jesus got it. it, it, it you're going to get it. And so uh, I remember hearing this illustration of a famous violinist and he was performing in a concert hall and people at the end of it were standing on their feet shouting Bravo encore clapping. People were weeping. He was such a gifted violinist and he was absolutely unmoved. In fact, there was this sense on his face of you know, almost like a, a sadness. Um, and when uh, they asked him why, uh, we saw you looking up in the balcony. And, and while everyone was cheering, you, 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 you seemed unmoved. What, what was going on? What was going through your mind? And he said, sitting up in that balcony, one of the box seats, was my mentor, who I consider the greatest violinist that's ever lived the one who trained me and mentored me. And he said, all I cared about that night was that he would stand up and that he would shout out and he would weep and he would, you know, be lifted up into euphoria and and clap with pride and say, encore, encore. And he said, he was the only person that would make me feel successful in that room. Hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like when Jesus says, one day you will hear, well done. My good and faithful servant. You know, we're looking up to that balcony, aren't we? We're looking up. That's what a church planner has to do. You have to, at some point, if you're going to lead the orchestra, you have to be willing to turn your back on the crowd. Hmm. You just have to. If you're going to make music for the kingdom of God, and a church planner has that because he's going to get that opposition. I love the fact that Mike Cheshire, he knows, he knows the secret formula that John the Baptist knew, that Jesus knew, that Paul knew. And that is, go in there and start a stinking riot. <laughs> you know, woe to you if all men uh, speak well of you. Um, you know, Paul, Paul knew what that was, to just want. And now, you know, as he's dying, is in chains, he just says, And now, you know, my, the time of my departure is at hand, but I know him whom I believed. He's able to guard what I've entrusted to him. Which was his very life until that day. Paul's yeah. like, I'm, I'm ready to go, man. I accomplished this. I finished my race to testify the grace of God. And there was only one person that Paul wanted to please. And I, it's, it's been, it's been a pleasant turn, this uh, whole podcast because what we're doing. I mean, we haven't started up that series yet. Where um, I'm waiting to get back from from adopting this baby, uh, but you know, we've talked about, we want to walk uh, church planners by the hand. We want to grab their hand and walk them through all of the steps in future podcasts. We want to start a series. But right now, it's like over the last few weeks, we're laying down these basic principles of church planning. I don't think, Pete, you and I actually thought the conversation, we had something else on our agenda today. And it's just kind of naturally given itself this way. And I really think it like we said last week, I think it's just the Spirit. I think this is what He wants us to talk about.
1: Well, you know, I'm going to throw in one little comment here. I know we're just about ready to wrap it up, but this is something that I really had to kind of get my head around. It's when I look at missionaries, when I look at church planners, you take Pastor Saeed, or uh, really what made me really start thinking about this. I don't remember who it was, but there's some pastor in like China or something, right? Been a missionary over there and um, ended up getting like brain cancer. Hmm. And so the thought that just, you know, obviously just comes flooding into my head. I'm like, God, how could you let that happen to someone who's given so much for you? And then you let them get brain cancer. Like, why would you do that? Why would you let that happen to this person? And, you know, you, I mean, how many stories can we look at of people who have given so much to Christ and then, you know, something physically has happened to them? Uh, what, what's the condition that Billy Graham has? Do you remember what it is? I, I don't remember. what Parkinson's. It, yeah, Parkinson's. You know, and you're just like, God, why would you let this happen? And it it really took some time for me to get my head around the concept, or you know, and bring that back to Saeed, right? You know, here's a guy who's fired up for Christ. He's over in Iran uh, starting an orphanage, and that's when he got arrested. And that, at the same time, he's also leading house churches and things like that. Uh, he's been beaten for the Lord. He's uh, l- literally in one of the worst hell holes on earth is that prison. And to mm. top it all off, he's an American I mean, granted, he's an Iranian-American, but he's still an American, right? So they're going to look at him and be like, okay, you know, you became an American. We don't like you. And he's a Christian. And there's gangs in this prison, just like there is in in American prisons, and they're beating him. He's not welcomed by anyone. Yet, in this place, he's led 30 people to Christ,
2: right? I was just going to say that.
1: yeah. And and I look at this, and it it took me a while to finally realize, you know what, though? These are things that these guys— are are happy to endure for yes. Christ. Yes. And they're thinking and to themselves, if God can be glorified in the fact that I got brain cancer, if God can be glorified in the fact that I'm in a jail in the middle of Iran and you know, I may not live he's got an eight year sentence and no one expects him to live that long. I mean, is really yeah. what it comes down to. You know, they're happy to do it for for Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, to me, it, it took me a while to like get my my head around that concept. And, you know, I had to have this conversation with God. I'm like, okay, God, I'm, I'm starting to get it. So, you know, if, if something like this is going to happen to me, Lord, all right. If it's going to bring glory to you, I'm okay with that. You know, yeah. and I say that in, in my
2: reasonably good health, right? Sure. <laughs> Everything sure. changes. Every, everybody you're... has a breaking point. Right. Everybody has a breaking point. You know, when we talk about, like, persecution and stuff, I always picture being, like, you know, um, in, in a room and someone, you know, forgive me, this isn't going to be very PG, but someone's sticking my, my scrotum on a table and taking a hammer oh. out and – That would be my breaking point, you know. But but I don't
1: think I could make it that far. I I
2: think actually (laughs) that's the point at which I'd start crying. If I hadn't cried already, I'd start crying um, like a little girl. But you know, the the reality is, when you're looking at all of these stories, all these things, it comes back to that again. Who are you doing this for? Who are you doing this for? The Apostle Paul, this is why church planners, you have to have this mindset. It ain't about you. It's not for you. Your church plan is not to build, quote unquote, your ministry. It's not about your ministry. It's not about your tape library or your sermon catalog or how big you get on Twitter. It ain't about you. Paul said that some people see ministry as a means of financial gain. He said some preach Christ out of selfish ambition. And he goes on to say, but hey, praise the Lord, nonetheless, even though that motive is wrong, still Christ is being preached. God will still use the gospel, even if it's coming out of the mouth of a selfishly ambitious person. I've been that dude. We all are going to be that dude. We got that dude inside of each one of us. But listen to Paul, exactly what uh, you're saying about Pastor Saeed, the Apostle Paul says this, he's writing to the Philippians, and he says, brothers, I want you to know that what t- was a hindrance to me, and he's talking about his chains, has actually served out as a furtherance for the gospel, to the extent that now the gospel has gone throughout the Praetorian guard. In other words, Paul is saying, hindrance to me? Equals furtherance of the gospel. Mm. And I think, you know, we, we're getting it wrong. We're thinking, hey, furtherance of me equals furtherance of the gospel. Paul came to the understanding, when I'm weak, I'm strong, I must decrease that he may increase, and hindrances to me equal furtherances to the gospel. Young generation, <laughs> like Grandpa, I'll talk to you for a minute. No, but, but I'm starting to preach. I got to stop. Must stop <laughs> preaching. But Paul is saying... Just like Saeed, it ain't about me. Hinder me all you want. At one point he goes on to say, and therefore I am in chains, but the word of God is not chained. The word of God is being set free in that prison with Pastor Saeed to the point where Pastor Saeed's father, when he's going in, they're allowing him to go in and visit. Some people are going, how do you know all this stuff about? Because they're allowing his father to visit. And that's how he gets the letters
1: out, by the way. He, He has to verbally speak them to his family and they write them
2: down. Yeah. And as his father comes out, sometimes his father is in the waiting room waiting to go in and talk to him, and other family members are coming in, not just the inmates, but the inmates are getting saved. The inmates are sharing the gospel with their family members. Their family members on the outside of prison are getting saved, and they're coming up to Saeed's father, breaking down in tears in the waiting room of the prison where This guy's being persecuted and telling him secretly, we have become Christians as a result of your son being here, our whole family. So we never know what God's going to do. And I think, like Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it will not bear fruit. And, you know, one of the, I can't remember who it was that said it um, in in ancient church history, early church history, um, some of the, I think it was the, some of the, uh, I don't know if it was anti-Nicene or post-Nicene fathers. One of them made the statement that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church because when you kill Christians and it stops being about them, there's power mm. and the gospel spreads. Mm. So that's probably all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us on the church planner podcast. Be sure to go to the newsstand on iTunes and download the second issue of church planner magazine. It is amazing we're not just saying that because we publish it but it is amazing the content alone is phenomenal and be sure to go there download that and tell your friends about it um pete do you want to say anything we're going to have a special promotion about it
1: we will but you know we'll we'll probably announce that next week but it it doesn't matter in the meantime go ahead and download it if you haven't already um you just can click the subscribe button we're (laughs) You can only actually get it right now if you're a subscriber, um, but you get it free for 30 days for being a subscriber. So if you just want to read it free, go ahead and do that. You can cancel before you ever get charged by iTunes, and that's cool. I mean, we wouldn't even know if you did that, so don't worry about, like, offending us (laughs) or anything. But I I would just recommend that you do that so you can get that. Joey would never do that. Not Joey or Jerry, who we made up. Yeah, <laughs> but, but Barry,
2: who's probably made up, he wouldn't probably do that either.
1: <laughs> but, uh, you know, I just um, – there there really are some phenomenal – in fact, while we were doing this podcast, I got an email from uh, someone who uh, runs another magazine for wine lovers, actually. And they emailed me saying, hey, I just watched that video with Saeed's sister and was so moved by it. So, uh, you know, I would – even the wine lovers
2: are saying they uh, – hey. The drunkards followed Jesus. They flocked to him. Let's hope that happens. Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, anyway,
1: so yeah. that's that's all I had to say, and uh, we'll be back next week with another Church Planner Podcast. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast